something is bubbling among women today. Women crave honest stories that entertain, motivate, and move them. Women want reinforcement that they are not alone in feeling the way that they do and that they can feel good about their prospects. Stories and Strategies for Women podcast will share riveting stories about amazing women. I'm your host, Claudine Walk. A good story well told is powerful. A good story can motivate. A good story can inspire action. Hey, Stories and Strategies listeners. We are very excited to welcome a new sponsor. It's iBobs at iBobs.com. I discovered iBobs a few years ago when I needed readers. If I needed to wear glasses, I wanted them to be fun to wear and fun to buy. iBobs fits the bill and makes buying glasses super easy. Wondering what frames look the best on you? Check out the style quiz on the site to help you find the perfect frames iBobs is offering a special discount for Stories and Strategies for Women listeners. Enter promo code STORIESANDSTRAT10, spell the end, at the checkout to receive your 10% discount today. Hey, Stories and Strategies listeners. Today's episode is titled, Who Really Pays the Price of Motherhood? I had done an interview with author Anne Crittenden. She wrote a book that was pretty famous called The Price of Motherhood, and it still sells well. A couple years ago, I had the opportunity to interview Anne, and it's recorded on a telephone or on a um, cell phone, so pardon the um, pardon the scratches on it. Um, but it is a fantastic interview, and I wanted to share it with you at Stories and Strategies for Women. Anne's book, The Price of Motherhood, was published in 2001, and it's a book that I picked up uh, soon after I decided to leave the workforce after my son had turned two. Um, so it's a very interesting topic. I think it's, I know, it's still uh, an important topic, and I uh, hope you enjoy it. At the end of the interview, I'm going to add a few more thoughts of my own, get you guys thinking, and I'd love to get your opinion as always. So uh, without further ado, here's the interview with Ann Crittenden the author of The Price of Motherhood. Anne is an award-winning journalist, author, lecturer, a former reporter for the New York Times, and nominated for a Pulitzer Prize. Anne, thank you so much for being with us. My pleasure. So I found your book after I left my full-time job and my first child was two years old. Your book was the first one I had found at the time, and it is called The Price of Motherhood, that seemed to point out that a woman gives up many things when she becomes a mother. You understood and put down on paper something that I was feeling acutely, that mothers sacrifice a lot of themselves personally and financially when they become moms, and especially when they leave a job. No one seemed to want to talk about that fact. They still don't want to talk about it, actually. Uh, you were honest enough to say it, and it was groundbreaking for me. So thank you very much for that. Well, thank you. Uh, that kind of reaction is a deep pleasure to me, too. I'm glad. And it's, and it's exactly... It was personal in my case, too, as you can imagine. Yeah, tell us about that. Well, it, you know, it, this just was written right out of my direct personal experience because I had been a, I was a reporter correspondent for the New York Times, and I had a baby. I had a six-month maternity leave. But going back, they had no flexibility. It would have been 24-7. Uh, my husband had just started a company, so he was completely occupied. And I really wanted that baby, and I would have never seen him. So I, I basically had to quit. 
and man, was that a shock. <laughs> uh, number one, you know, I was really taken by surprise at how really complicated the job was of raising children. It's, you know, requires everything. You've got a psychologist, teacher, you know, doctors, everything. It was just a very high-skilled job, not housework. And the second realization was that the big world of affairs out there that I was accustomed to did not appreciate that in the least. So I tell the story of the introduction. that I was at a Washington cocktail party um, when a guy came across the room to me and he said, Hey, didn't you used to be Ann Crittenden? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I know. Old people identify with that. Yeah, not, not difficult, not yeah. difficult. Yeah, you lose the status, you lose the income, you lose, you know, really essentially who you were. Yeah, I mean, when I left yeah. my job, I remember coming home. We had, I left the job, I quit the job, we went on vacation, I came back. And I was in the worst mood. And my husband's like, what's the matter? <laughs> and I was yeah. like, oh, like I just, it just hit me. I was, I felt the same way you did. I was crazy about my son and I wanted to be there. Yeah. And I, it was kind of an, an amazing revelation because we thought, you know, feminism and women had won all the big battles. We, we got the right, right to have all kinds of jobs. We have freedom of choice. We got all these things we really wanted in the 70s, but we forgot that, you know, this was a big remaining piece that the world still didn't respect what traditionally women had always done, which is raise kids. That was sort of the missing piece of the women's revolution. Um, so that's what I set out to do, was to write about that, that the most modern, you know, people are still going to run up against this really age-old uh, problem of, of status, income, and all the all the rest of it when they have children. So you would say that the overall purpose was to kind of get the topic out in the open. Get it out in the open and, and sort of also really proclaim that we need to put our money where our mouth is when it comes to family values. I didn't want just one side of the political spectrum to own the family values argument. It's a progressive argument as well that we need to do more to support families um, and to say, look, motherhood is really important, parenthood, because I'm not saying it isn't fathers as well. Understood, yeah. Any, yeah, anyone raising kids, even including early educators and nannies, anyone dealing with l young children just doesn't have the respect and the income they should have. You know, one of the things that I, I remembered when, when it had happened to me was just exactly what you're saying, and I don't think it can be overemphasized it was so. It was the hardest thing I've ever done, and I remember bringing that baby home and thinking, "I can't believe they're going to let me bring this baby home." And <laughs> it, it was so hard. Anything else I had wow. done to that point, you know, college, and I become a CPA and working in full yeah. time, you know, no, not even close. Exactly. exactly. Not even close. Yeah. It's did amazing. you did you did you remember the quote I found from Ralph Waldo Emerson? He said, "In dealing with my child." My fame and my fortune stead me nothing, or no avail, <laughs> but all the soul I have avails. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. My Latin and my Greek, all my knowledge, it's just nothing compared to what it takes to raise a child. Amen. The book itself, it reads like, you know how the true crime genre is kind of popular now? It is mm. so well footnoted and noted, uh, lots of additional things that you can look for. Um, for information, but I found each chapter was like its own 
little yeah. novel. And, and Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it was so easy to read and so, so, I mean, it's been around my house in different places for years because I can just pick it up and pick up a new chapter and learn something. So I want to make sure that people understand that, that that's the kind of book that it is. And it is extremely easy to read. So I'm wondering how you develop that writing skill that transforms the complex to easy and entertaining. Well, thank you so much for that compliment because I really worked hard on the writing. It's one thing to get, I did do a ton of research, as you can see, and I found all kinds of new information about all the areas, you know, I wanted to deal with, but I wanted to make it accessible, and so I really, really, really worked hard on the writing, and it it was a new kind of writing, because I did work for the New York Times, and they have their own style, and I had to kind of shake that loose and make this more accessible, so I did want it to read like a story, you know, I did, like I covered a trial of the woman getting a, a divorce, and I tried to give illustrations of people's lives to to make my points and so that you know it it would be something that would be accessible to people so well, thank that, you very much uh, yeah that's <laughs> one of the, the stories i wanted to talk about because in the news these days we've we've had a recent famous people divorce and um, it was the Jeff Bezos divorce to Stephanie Be- Bezos. And one of the things that got me when you compare that to the famous divorce that you discuss in the book, the Went divorce, right. W-E-N-D-T, and they were divorced in Connecticut. And I'm trying to think of the year. Was it 89? No, it wasn't that uh, long ago. Oh, okay. It was in the, well, wait, it was in the 90s. Yeah, it was in the late 90s, I think. Okay. So you cover that story, and it was the, I love this, the shot heard around the water cooler, because everyone needed to discuss <laughs> um, what's a wife worth. And yeah. s- some of the headlines, I thought, were really interesting. So um, one of them from, this is from the uh, Washington Post in 2016, Lorna Jorgensen went, who sought half of her husband's assets... Mm-hmm. What's a corporate wife work? That's the Chicago Tribune. Let me mm-hmm. see. It's her job, too. Lorna Wentz's $20 million divorce case is the shot heard around the water cooler. That was Fortune magazine. Word for word, the Went divorce. What's a corporate wife work in court? Go figure. And then when Bezos and Stephanie got divorced, yeah. the, the t- headline was in Fox Business, Here's how much Amazon stock Jeff Bezos just gave his ex-wife. <laughs> just, just gave her. Though so you can see, yeah. and then one of the blogs that I like that kind of throws things on its head, she wrote a headline, Will Jeff Bezos get half of Mackenzie Bezos's fortune in the divorce? <laughs> you like that? Oh, God. It's so, so it, funny. It's all kind of how you look at it. but It really d- is. You well, I, you know, she made history in a way, went, because no one had really taken that on. Usually the women settle. And, it, and the bigger the money is, the more they just say, okay, I'll take a few mil, you know. Um, but this woman was furious. She, he had decided to marry his, her best friend, one of her best friends. Ooh, that hurts. So she had really a lot of pain and a lot of anger about it. And so she said, look, we've been married 30-something years, and it was a partnership. We always talked about it as a partnership. And what interested me was that in the current modern world, I mean, when you quit a very big job to raise your child, which this culture says, oh, that's wonderful, you should, you know, do that, and you have made an enormous sacrifice, the economists call it opportunity cost. You've lost your career, you've lost your income, and you're never going to get it back. Uh, very hard to get back in if you've really quit for a while. Um, 
or certainly to get back in at the same level. So you have lost income. And almost in all those modern marriages, the deal is the husband and wife agree they're on an, they're on an adventure together and they're going to share. So yet the law does not say that. The law says he who earns it owns it. Whoever's got that name on the paycheck or the stock dividend or whatever, that's his money. So she had to really challenge the fact that, you know, hey, you're not just going to buy me off with a little piece of this. I think I earned it. I think we were in a deal together. So that was her argument. And, you know, it was very funny in the courtroom. I really think it influenced the judge, the fact that there were just millions of women. You could just see them, middle-aged women who had been in the same boat, were in that courtroom just watching closely what might happen. And the judge, I'm sure, took all that into consideration. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was like and the media was there, and it did influence, I'm convinced, the verdict, which gave her way more than he had offered. I've forgotten the exact numbers of it in the book. I think he was worth... Fifty million, sixty million, something in that line. Yep. And he had he had offered her eight. Correct. And she said, "Wait a second, you know." <laughs> and I had interviewed divorce lawyers, and they all were just, including you know, young single women lawyers, who thought, "Oh, you know, the woman should just have enough to get by, that kind of thing." I, I was so amazed at one woman saying, "Well, she should get enough that you know." He needs enough to keep going to the Kennedy Center, you know, to the concert. And he needs to take a date. <laughs> I said, well, what if she wants to go to the Kennedy Center? He said, well, she'll have to find a date. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I mean, the inequality still prevails that, you know, she didn't earn it, and he's giving her. And, you know, listen, guys, I, it, we really don't think that's right. <laughs> so my point, my point is that in the modern world, we still have these screeching inequalities when they come to grit they come out in full force if you are a parent who really wants to spend time with your kid you're punished it's like no good no good deed goes unpunished that's right yes exactly well the other um today people seem to think that equitable equals equal equitable is equal but that's not always the same is it no it is not (laughs) it's not in the law it you know this is hard to to make a flat-out generalization because each state is different. And the community property states, of which California is the biggest, are much more liable to do equal. But in, in the East Coast, where the older state, older state laws prevail, older common law and so forth, they call it equitable and it is not equal. So watch right. out where... Watch out where you get married and live. <laughs> and, and Bezos in the Bezos divorce, she did not get half. No, I've forgotten. What did she get? She uh, got, I, it, they, it was undisclosed, yeah. but it was it, the point but, you was know, it was something that monster. He's one of the richest men on the face of the earth. Well, that's mm-hmm. it. So she's going to end up the biggest philanthropist on, on earth. You know? Right, <laughs> but there was so a taint. So she probably didn't make a big. I mean, right. You know, big, bit a lot of noise. Right, right, and she had a she had a stake in how that stock price maintained itself. So that made a lot of sense to me uh, as well. But there was still that thread of how much is too much. And Lorna went, had the the attitude that half is half. Yeah. Right? Half is half. Yeah. That is correct. And that's just... But I will tell you one thing very interesting I found out. I spent at least two years working on what happens to the mother in case of divorce. 
what happens with the spousal support, with the, what they call spousal support, it used to be called alimony, what happens with child support, what happens when the assets are divided, all those things, because that is a common, you know, it happens a lot, divorce. Although it happens less, the more money you have, that is a fact. But anyway, I worked hard. I wanted people to be aware of the consequences, you know, of that sort of thing. And people did not want to talk about it. In millions of interviews, millions of questions and speeches, I never very much got any questions about that. There's this massive denial about what happens. And, in fact, my favorite story about that was a book group in Atlanta was reading my book, and someone sent me the uh, instructions from the book group leader that month, and she said, we're going to read Ann Crittenden's Price of Motherhood, but we don't need to read the chapters on divorce because we're all married. Oh no! <laughs> I could not believe it. When you when you talked about women don't want to talk about the value value of motherhood, I found that to be the case oh, too. Oh, they want to talk about value. They didn't want to talk about divorce. Oh, I'm gotcha, sorry. gotcha, gotcha. No, I get that gotcha, too. Yeah. I get that too. Yeah. But to talk yeah. about valuing, um, you know, putting a price tag on motherhood, uh, a lot of my girlfriends they don't even want to talk about it. It's almost like uh, it's like a disease. Like if I talk about yeah. it, it's going to happen to me. And my attitude is, you know, if if things don't work out in your marriage, someone's going to value it. So you might as well take a look at it, right? The courts are yeah. going to value it. So you better you better have a look. But the yeah. other the other piece of it is. I think when you're a stay-at-home mom, a lot of times they say, well, you're, you're so lucky, right? Mm-hmm. And even in the courts, well, you're lucky to have been a stay-at-home mom. Well, you can't eat luck. That's right. Am I right? I haven't noticed that uh, Trader Joe's takes it, you know, for, for the food. Right. <laughs> it's a nice idea, but, yeah. you know, you, you, so anyway, okay. So um, some of the other topics that you talked about is solutions. In, in your book, it's not just about all these great the stories and the statistics, but it's also some solutions. Have any of the solutions been adopted? Well, one of the most uh, things that's happened, it's not on a huge scale, but we've definitely seen uh, change in progress on uh, paid maternity, paternal leave, you know, parental leave. Right. Uh, when I wrote it, there was virtually no paid leave in the United States, and there's still is no federal requirement that any state has to offer a paid leave, any, any company, I should say. But several states have made the move. I think we have about uh, six states now, and D.C., District Columbia, have it, um, so that you can take four weeks, usually four, six weeks, at partial pay if you have a child. So that's not a lot, but it is a definitely progress. Those states, by the way, are California, New Jersey, Rhode Island, and New York. So some big states have now paid parental leave. The other change in that line are the paid sick time. If your child is sick, um, most, of, most places, low-income workers particularly, tens of millions of low-income workers have not one day of paid sick leave. And now about 10 states have a requirement that you have a few days. If you get sick or your child gets sick, you don't have to go to work and you run, you run, you don't run the risk of getting fired if that's, you stay home. That's really important because I also it think, is huge, yeah, yeah, and that's that's moving a little. Yeah. Right, right. I was always able to work a little bit part time uh, while I had my my children. We used to the the moms in the neighborhood. We used to switch off. I'll watch your kids while you work, and you'll watch what my kids while I work. And it was great to kind of stay in in the the game that way. Uh, but yeah. for women who who do have to stay in the workforce and want to stay in the workforce, 
that's so important because you just it's 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 a something that you can't plan for. Yeah, well, we need to have the ability to stay home with your really young children. Mm-hmm. Nobody thinks that's not, not ideal, you right. know, to have infant care by the parents. But once the kid is a little older, of course, we need other things like better, uh, more subsidies for child care, early education, uh, which is something universal in Europe, and we don't have it yet. It's just a huge chunk out of the family budget to try to pay for third, you know, three-year-olds going to preschool, which people now really want to do. They want their kids to have a head start. Yep. And it, they just, most people just can't afford it, or the, the mothers are driven out of the job market because they can't pay for preschool. They can't, you know, face those bills. Sure, sure. You so know. you dedicate this book to the memory of your mother. Mm-hmm. Did she inspire you? Well, she did. <laughs> I just wanted to honor her because that's, you know, she... It was about, she was my mother. <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> yeah, she, I think she was with her generation paid a kind of price by never having a career. They never were able to get out of the house. In my generation, we really wanted to. And now I think there's more balance and people want to have something of both, you know. We, we now don't have it. Most women are working. Most mothers are working. I think something like 75% of women with children of six years old or over are in the job market. Right. So we, we have to have policies that benefit people who want to stay with some kids and people who also want to work and have an income or a career. Right. So. I, yeah, I always found that fascinating, too. My mom is, it was in the same boat, and she really wanted to work, but she couldn't. And yeah, so, exactly. But back then it wasn't, oh, you're so lucky to be at home. It was, I, I wish I could go and work. You know? Exactly. And now we're and lucky to be ahead. just doesn't make any sense. You can't have it both ways. I know. Well, it's not yet been arranged to suit uh, women. <laughs> right. Uh, but one interesting thing I found out, and I wanted to say on the air, is that uh, I found out from pollsters that women don't see this yet as a national uh, political issue or pres- presidential issue, let's say. Hmm. They see it as a local kind of issue. Hmm. And yet we really do need national policies to have uh, child, or childhood early education, you know, preschool for all. We, we have, America pioneered primary school for all, and we pioneered high school for all. And why should, we're now the last place on earth that's getting, that has early education for kids. So we need to have that as a national issue, I think. Some of this stuff, or national parental leave which would help so many people. And one consequence of the fact that we don't have help with preschool and we don't have parental leave is that American women now work less. We have lower incomes than women in the rest of the developed world. And that is a big change. Uh, You want a little statistic. It's kind of mind-blowing. In 1990, we had the sixth highest female labor force participation rate of the 24 most developed countries. We were six. In other words, more women were working. And by 2014, we dropped to 22nd out of 24 countries hmm. in, the, in the number of women in the workforce. We, we've been pushing mothers out of the workforce because we do so little to make it possible for them to earn a, earn a living. And that means lower family income. Even conservative think tanks are now saying, this is crazy. You know, we have lower family incomes lower national income because of this 
Yeah, and your your back your background was economics, so that's right. You know how to crunch those numbers. That's what you did at the New York Times, correct? That is correct. Yes, that's why I was motivated to put some of that to work on this issue. Neat, neat. So tell us. So this is not the only book you have written. No, I did a follow-up, unfortunately not in print anymore. Price of Motherhood is still selling out there. <laughs> but this other one um, is also, it really was very interesting to me. I found, I, in, in reporting Price of Motherhood, I found another whole area of research that I thought made a second book, which it did, and that is how raising kids gives you amazing leadership skills. It is really a good training ground for managing adults. Because after all, mo- many adults walking around out there are two or three or four years old emotionally. <laughs> 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 and so if you've learned how to deal with a, a two-year-old tantrum or a four-year-old demand or, you know, teenagers, you really have skills in dealing with people in an organization. So that was that book, and I interviewed a lot of very interesting people who talked about all the amazing things they had gotten out of that experience. Neat, neat. <laughs> I, yeah. I believe that, oh. too, actually. I, one of the first I things too. I did was a, I, I did a library used book sale, and I managed it. That was one of the first big projects that I did. And, uh, boy, those, those uh, parenting uh, skills really came in handy, organizing right. a, bunch of, a bunch of volunteers, and it really, really helped. It's true. Uh, exactly. Uh, so exactly. tell us what you're up to now. We have a couple minutes. Love to hear what you're up to now. And are you speaking? I am still, and it's funny, um, this show... Appeared, but I've been doing a number of podcasts around this topic and more speeches lately around it. So I think it's getting hot again. Yeah, so maybe we'll get more attention on that topic. Right, up. right. And yeah. I, but, well, what I love about it, too, is that the topics that you've, you've brought up, there has been progress. And uh, in the Went case especially, one of the things that really hit me was when, when Lorna Went uh, fought for half, uh, not many women would have done that at the time because she knew she'd be vilified, and she was in the in the media and in the press. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she did it anyway, and um, it made a real difference. And I remember one of the big parts of that was having um, stock options, the kinds of things that weren't really tangible, be part of the divorce settlement, and that has remained uh, today. Thank yeah. goodness. So, so mm-hmm. it's it's important to to look at the issues and come up with solutions because change change is made. Change is made, and they make it. The squeaky wheel gets the grease. That's right. That's right. <laughs> That's Thank my you. big message of the day. Thank you for that interview, Anne Crittenden. I'm back, and I promised you some thoughts on the interview. The book, The Price of Motherhood, is still a best-selling book and it is still relevant. I support women. I support women. I support working women, and I support stay-at-home mom women. I worked as a part-time mom, I worked as a full-time mom, and I also stayed at home. I'm no expert, but I dabbled in each, and I support any choice a mom makes. What I don't support is the suggestion that a stay-at-home mom is lucky to do the job that is probably the most difficult job anyone will do. So now before you get worked up, let me just tell you what I mean by that. Stay-at-home moms get a lot of lip service about how hard they work. I can remember when Oprah did a show way back in the 90s, and she said that being a stay-at-home mom is the hardest job there is, and that is an honor and a privilege to do that work. As I said in the episode to Anne, that is high praise, and stay-at-home moms appreciate it, but you can't eat honor and privilege. You know what I mean? 
If things go wrong in the marriage, the financial burden could be horrific to the stay-at-home parent. And so the subject that is in the book, The Price of Motherhood, is an important one because if you sacrifice your job, and it is a sacrifice, you're sacrificing your career in order to raise children full-time, and you should not be punished for it if the relationship does not work out. Now, there are two sides to every story, and not every woman is the same kind of stay-at-home mom. I get it. Please don't email me. However, to give up a career for years in order to raise kids should not change your socioeconomic position to the extent that you are starting from scratch. I, I think we can all agree that's not a good thing. You know, why would you do it? If, if you knew that sacrificing your job meant that you were going to become you were going to end up in poverty, you just wouldn't do it, right? I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. So Anne's book and these conversations are a way to help moms understand the risk that they are taking and perhaps ways to buffer the risk. And that's what we're about here at Stories and Strategies. We want to give you some strategies. So we mentioned that the legislation had changed uh, through the Lorna Wendt case, where now a working parent who, by the way, in a lot of cases today... The, the stay-at-home parent is a man. Uh, the legislation has changed so that the options and pensions in retirement earned by the working parent is now part of the divorce sell- settlement, and rightly so, because those benefits were earned you know, while you were in the marriage. But there's more work to do. It's definitely progress, but there's some work that needs to be done. My hope is that women are simply more informed so that when they decide to give up a career to raise kids, they're protected. There are other ways to be protected. Uh, There's part-time work to keep yourself in the game. And there's also something called a post-nuptial agreement. Hmm. Uh, Post-nuptial agreements can be signed so that if after you're married, you and your partner decide that you're going to stay home and raise children, you could be protected financially according to an agreement that you both uh, decide on. Uh, perhaps there there may be even other solutions. I did an interview with a local lawyer, family lawyer. Her name is Jessica Pritchard, and she talked all about this, that yes, post-nuptial agreements are available. And she also talked about ways that women who have been who left the workforce in order to raise kids uh, can be better protected if the marriage fails. So for the last two years in many families, both parents have been working from home with the kids, and it's kind of an interesting dynamic, right? Because before the kids were in school, both parents were working all day long. You know, now for the last two years, in a lot of cases, both parents are home, work trying to work from home, and the kids are home as well doing schoolwork. So someone had to take care of the kids. And I think what happened there was that both parents realized, uh, working or no, uh, that it's a lot of work. And that's a good thing Uh, because, again, lucky just doesn't come into the picture when you're talking about taking care of kids, especially when they're young. I think it's pretty clear that working parents on both sides saw and see how much work it is to raise kids. Hopefully, the rhetoric of lucky to be home will be eradicated. I would love to hear your thoughts on this. Uh, Please leave a message at my blog, Claudine Walk. Dot com where I highlight this episode and check out Ann Crittenden's book, The Price of Motherhood, which can be found anywhere books are sold. It is, as I described it in the episode, where you can pick it up, read a chapter, put it down, you know, and just 
let the ideas swirl in your head a little bit. You're not going to agree with everything. I don't agree with everything. Um, but it really got me thinking. It probably wasn't the perfect book for me to pick up when I decided to leave the full-time workforce. Um, and to that end, I wanted to read you a little excerpt from my book. So as you know, I wrote a book back in 2009 called It Gets Easier and Other Lies We Tell New Mothers. And in the book, I have a chapter chapter called what is a housewife and how did I become one because after working for two years full-time after my son was born I just we decided that I should be stay at home that that it would be really difficult for both of us to have um, high-powered careers and and not have someone at home um, and and that was the rub it wasn't like I was thrilled to be leaving my job. I love my son, obviously, and I wanted to be there to take care of him, but I felt the loss of leaving that job. And it wasn't just the financial. There, I said it. Um, So this is from the book. The question became quite real to me when my son was two years old. My personal life was at odds with my professional life. I could no longer stay late at work, and sometimes I had to excuse myself from meetings. Maybe this sounds familiar, gals. And guys, I was clocking in after the 8 o'clock start time. That's back when you had to clock in. And I generally felt that I was not doing either job in my life, work or mother, well. So I did what many of my information age sisters did. I cashed out my 401k and vacation pay, put my suits and heels in the closet, and I joined the stay-at-home world. Let me tell you, I was scared. The transition was not a smooth one for me or my spouse. Unfortunately for my husband, the first episode of Oprah that I watched was about a divorce case. More than just a divorce case, it became a kind of indictment of the stay-at-home mom. Is she or is she not a true full partner in the marriage? In the case discussed on Oprah, the corporate wife sued her successful husband for divorce and requested half of their millions. I wondered how the producers can make a whole Oprah episode out of this because I figured, hey, she's just going to get half, right? But I watched on and learned that getting half of the family's wealth was not a slam dunk for the at-home mom. After I picked my jaw up off the floor, I marveled at the studio audience, women, expressing their views that the stay-at-home mom's work was an honor and a privilege, ouch, and that the money earned belonged to the husband because he, in fact, had earned it double ouch. I was astonished. I wondered whether I had just magically been transported to 1950, but there was more. The lawyers in the case expressed the view that the wife could not have earned the same amount of money as her husband on her own. Further, they said that she was terrified. I'm sorry, that she was entitled. I'm terrified right now just reading this. Further, they said she was entitled to what her husband was willing to give her. Okay, so this was in the 90s, by the way, guys. Yeah, this was still going on. Uh, Continuing from the book, at this point, I look like the character Ted Stryker in the movie Airplane when he learns that he has to fly the plane alone. I had sweat literally pouring down my face. I couldn't believe my ears. I thought, who is to say how much money she could have earned on her own? She could have been the next Madame Curie, right? When my husband came home that night, he found me crouched in the corner of the foyer, ready to pounce on him like Spider-Man. I wanted to know how he felt about this issue. Did he feel this way? Could I picture him in a courtroom with a bunch of suits saying that he didn't think of our marriage as a team effort, as the successful millionaire husband had said? Should I run back to my old office and get my job back? After I calmed down, he assured me of two things. Number one, we are blocking out the channel that provides Oprah. 
And number two, he did not feel the same way as the lawyers in that divorce case or as the members of Oprah's studio audience. After a few hours of soothing, I resisted the urge to call my boss and get my old job back. I got a nice husband. He's a good guy. So yeah, he he was uh, he was very good with me that evening, and I and I did end up staying home. Uh, I did work part time and have since, uh, but I made the decision to stay home. So anyway, this is why it's an important topic, and I would love to hear your opinion on it. So please send me a note at my blog claudinewalk.com on the episode blog that I will post. And uh, I thank Ann Crittenden for being our guest and for writing on such an important topic. Thank you so much for listening. You are listening to Stories and Strategies for Women. You are listening to Stories and Strategies for Women podcast. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave us a review. Visit me at my website, claudinewalk.com. Drop me a note on Instagram, at Claudine Walk. Thank you for listening. We will see you next time.